welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. At his confirmation hearing last year, Neil Gorsuch, the newest member of the Supreme Court, told lawmakers that he wouldn't let anything stand between him and a just decision. Sitting here, I'm acutely aware of my own imperfections. But I pledge to each of you and to the American people that if I am confirmed, I will do all my powers permit to be a faithful servant of the Constitution and laws of this great nation. In his second term serving the U.S. Constitution as a Supreme Court justice, Gorsuch has become something of an inside player in a closely divided court. Joining us is Greg Storr, Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter. Greg, you've written about this inside player role, and Chief Justice John Roberts has assigned Gorsuch to write three opinions in five to four decisions. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the Chief Justice gets to decide who writes the opinion when he's in the majority, and oftentimes in a, in a closely divided a decision like that, it might go to a, a more experienced justice or the justice who holds the swing vote. One case in particular, though, uh, that was argued early in the in this this term involving the rights of workers to to file class action suits instead of having to go to individual arbitration, uh, he assigned the opinion to Justice Gorsuch, and it was notable because. Uh, he, he could have the chief could have very easily assigned it to Justice Thomas, who instead got that that uh, setting a unanimous opinion uh, in a criminal case. And uh, some people I talked to said, you know, it, it, it is starting to look like the chief justice has some confidence that Justice Gorsuch can write an opinion like this and not lose the five justice majority. So is is he getting a different role than than the man he replaced, uh, J- Justice Scalia? Well, he, in some ways, he he is almost a perfect replacement for Justice Scalia in terms of the way he looks at cases, or at least it's starting to appear that way. Um, you know, he he obviously doesn't have nearly the track record of Justice Scalia. He's not the conservative icon that Justice Scalia was. But in terms of how he's voting, uh, one case in particular where. Uh, Justice Gorsuch sided with the court's liberals. It was in a, a deportation case where he basically said this law is not clear enough uh, to subject somebody to mandatory deportation. It, it echoed a lot of, of Scalia. Uh, a real skepticism of letting the government uh, uh, apply its power to an individual without a very clear law that says what the government can do. Scalia, certainly someone that Gorsuch has said he looks up to. Well, Greg, a little over one month until the end of the term. We're still waiting for those high-profile decisions. But we got one decision on Tuesday. It wasn't high-profile, but it, it was significant in that it backed privacy rights against police power. Tell us about that. Yeah, the the bottom line of this case is it, well, it involved a motorcycle that was parked right out somebody's house in their in the driveway, and the court uh, said that uh, the the protection that we give to a home into the area around the home called a curtilage. Uh, that applies even when uh, it is something like a motorcycle that might be easily moved. So in this case, a police officer who went to a house, saw a motorcycle that he suspected of being stolen in the driveway, walked up the driveway, uh, uh, lifted up a tarp that was covering the motorcycle and checked out the the the, the motorcycle and, and the VIN, the VIN number on it. Uh, that officer... 
uh, might have violated uh, the individual's Fourth Amendment rights by doing that without a warrant. And, and the explanation is that even though that motorcycle is something that could have been easily moved and there's a reason why the officer wanted to go quickly, the home and the area around it is is so sacrosanct that unless there's a really, really good reason, a police officer needs to get a warrant before going onto it to, to look for something. I've actually learned what the word curtilage means after all these Supreme Court opinions on this. So the court has been really careful about the sanctity of the home, but does this opinion expand privacy rights in any way? It certainly reinforces it, and it it takes this doctrine that was known as the automobile exception that basically said but because an automobile is something that can be easily moved, uh, it's going to be more easier for a police officer to be allowed to, to search it. It takes that doctrine and it really limits it to the context where the automobile or motorcycle is out on the road somewhere and not in somebody's uh, somebody's private property. And that is a significant uh, additional reinforcement of the protection that people have uh, for their their homes and, and the area around their homes. And there was also this big decision – this week, I, I believe yesterday, on the Arkansas on Arkansas uh, abortion law. Yeah. So, Peter, this th- this was a case where the court just said we're not going to hear it, but it was, it was it was pretty significant. This is an Arkansas law that uh, says that if you are a, a, an abortion clinic and you uh, provide medication abortions, uh, abortions uh, using pills. Um, you have to have a contractual relationship with a doctor who has admitting privileges to a hospital. Arkansas says this is to protect the, the health of the, the mother. Um, the, uh, 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 if this law goes into effect, which it now has because the Supreme Court rejected the appeal, uh, it, uh, two of the three abortion clinics in Arkansas will have to stop providing abortions. Uh, a, a federal appeals court uh, it didn't say the law is is definitely constitutional, but it did uh, kick it back down to a lower court uh, for some from more detailed uh, more detailed factual findings about the effect of it. By rejecting the the clinic's appeals, uh, the Supreme Court said that at least for now, the law can go into effect, but it's eventually going to come back to the Supreme Court. Greg, what was surprising to me is that there weren't four votes to take this case, and there were no published dissents. Were, Were the liberals asleep? (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't think they were asleep, June. Uh, it's it's a good question, and, and it's probably a tactical decision that if they didn't have the five votes to intervene and um, uh, uh, bl- prevent this law from, from taking effect, uh, knowing that the case is going to come back up at some point, uh, the decision apparently was made not to uh, draw a line in the sand at this point, to let it go. We'll have other chances uh, to object. About 30 seconds for you here, Greg. But how did they distinguish the case, the court below, how did they distinguish the, te- the Texas case from 2016? Yeah, so, so they, they essentially said we don't have enough facts at our disposal to make that decision right now. The, the, a district judge had blocked the law but hadn't made detailed factual findings about the number of women that would not be able to get abortions or that would have to postpone uh, abortions if the law took effect. 
ultimately, this law may be struck down for that same reason, but for the time being, the appeals court is, is saying we don't have enough information. Thank you, Greg. It's always a revelation when you talk to us. That's Bloomberg News Supreme Court reporter Greg Storr. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg.